Recording from the Sunshine City, St. Petersburg, Florida, overlooking beautiful Tampa Bay, this is the Sonography Lounge, sponsored by Gulf Coast Ultrasound Institute. This podcast is dedicated to medical professionals and patients around the world interested in diagnostic and interventional ultrasound. Our podcast will discuss everything ultrasound, from news, trends, career paths, new technology, and industry updates. Hosted by Lori Green and Tricia Rio of Gulf Coast Ultrasound Institute, they bring over four decades of experience in the ultrasound profession and are here to guide you through this journey. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy. Hi, everyone, and thank you for joining us today on the Sonography Lounge, where we talk about everything ultrasound. My name is Lori Green, and I will be co-hosting today's episode with Trisha Rio. Hey, everybody. Today, we will be discussing a popular topic for our Point of Care series for musculoskeletal ultrasound. We are excited to have Dr. Timothy Mazzola, who is a non-operative regenerative orthopedic specialist at Breakthrough Regenerative Orthopedics in Boulder, Colorado. He has co-authored the chapter, Techniques for Performing Regenerative Procedures for Orthopedic Conditions in the Groundbreaking Textbook, Regenerative Treatments in Sports and Orthopedic Medicine. He has also performed diagnostic and interventional MSK ultrasound since 2007 and regenerative medicine since 2009. He is also one of our expert MSK ultrasound faculty here at Gulf Coast Ultrasound. We're so happy to have you here, so welcome. Well, thank you. It's great to be back. Yes, it's exciting to have you here again. We uh, did a previous podcast with Dr. Mazzola on uh, knee osteoarthritis, which was awesome. So I hope you all were able to listen in on that podcast. And, uh, you know, today we're going to be talking about a different topic that we're excited about. And because many people experience various injuries or strains that seem to last for weeks or even months without significant improvement. So Dr. Mazzola is going to talk with us today about tendinitis, tendinosis, and tears that patients experience, including the best methods for diagnosing and treating some of these conditions. So let's just jump right into that. Um, Dr. Mazzola, there seems to be some confusion between what is the difference, if any, between tendinitis and tendinosis. So can you explain the difference? Yes, I can. Thank you for that that question. And it's one that we get all the time. So um, yeah, the, the, the term tendinitis has been around forever, it seems like, in medicine and is accompanied by a, a similar term called bursitis. And those, uh, those were terms that were utilized for people with, you know, chronic, what they thought was inflamed tendons. And um, historically, people would use anti-inflammatories and steroid shots and things like that to try and calm down that inflammation. Well, uh, in in between 2010 and 2015, there was a real push to better understand the nature of chronic tendinopathy, which just means tendon problems, and try and uh, better to discern and understand the differences. And so that's really when this became a popular topic. It, I think before 2010, there was very little written about tendinosis. It was all about tendinitis and, and bursitis, which is usually the bursa. It's right next to a tendon. Think of like uh, in your shoulder, your rotator cuff, and you have your subacromial bursa. And I remember being taught you just pop a needle into that bursa right over top the tendon, put some steroids in there, calm that down, and, and the patient should be good to go. Well, a couple things that were going on that I noticed in that time frame, and the other would be, um, another good example would be trochanteric bursitis on the side of the hip. Same idea, the, the bursa's inflamed, just put a steroid shot in there with or without 
any guidance at the time. You know, before 2010, not many people were using ultrasound. So it was usually just landmark based. You just drop a needle in there and throw steroids at it and hope for the best. Send the patient to physical therapy. And then I would notice this pattern where, you know, both of those kinds of patients would get better for a while for four to six weeks, but then always it would return. And so it seemed like the inflammation just kept returning. Well, what, what, came to pass was a better understanding of what was going on with the tendon and the bursa. And I I guess the best way to say it is that tendonitis, to answer your original question, is an inflammation of a tendon. And it's usually related to an acute strain or injury of a tendon. Think of if you uh, were training for a marathon and you were increasing your amount of running you were doing, and one day you overdid it, and now you had patellar tendonitis or hamstring tendonitis. And that really flared up for maybe a a two or three day period. If you were wise, you would rest, take a couple days off, let it recover, and then heal. So what we think now is that it's not just plain old inflammation out of nowhere, it's an actual overuse, a bit of injury, um, maybe even like a, a slightly reactive or partially injured tendon that has to go through a bit of inflammation, which is the first step of healing. And then if left alone and if we don't block that healing response with things like steroids and anti-inflammatories, there's a pretty good chance that that tendon is going to come around if we rest it, do some good physical therapy exercise, and then get back to business. And so tendonitis is like that. Think of it as an acute flare-up, usually from overuse or a sudden uh, injury that um, I'm thinking of Casey over there in the gym. You know, like he put up a little too much weight flares up his rotator cuff tendon, gives it a couple days off, and then it, and then it gets back to normal and he can proceed. That's a tendonitis, mm-hmm. and that's mm-hmm. just a flare-up from an acute injury where um, you had a little overuse or a strain. Tendinosis, on the other hand, is this chronic condition that lasts much longer than that initial week or two from the flare-up of a slight injury, and it's, it's effectively like a, what Jill Cook, um, who's a, a fabulous physical therapist who has explored this topic extensively, um, has described as a reactive tendon that then leads into, if it doesn't heal in that first week or two, what she calls tendon disrepair or, you know, an, an, a failed healing attempt. And so um, think of that inflammation as your body's attempt at healing, and it's not a bad thing. It's actually a good thing, and it eventually typically will resolve once the healing sets in. So tendinosis is when you get into this chronic situation of failed healing, and it typically involves um, kind of a, a slow degeneration and the disorganization of the tendon fibers. And we can talk more about that if if you guys are interested in understanding what's happening at the microscopic level. Um, But that's the main difference between tendonitis, uh, which is acute inflammation related to a sudden and short-term injury, usually resolves within a week or two, and tendinosis, which is a failed attempt at that healing that leads to a chronic long-term tendon problem. And that's where, you know, people might call it bursitis or tendonitis, but they're, they're misnaming it. It's really a, a chronic degenerative tendon problem with usually um, some little small partial tears and disorganization, but not really inflammation any longer. And that's, that was the big surprise that came out between 2010 and 2015 is that once that initial flare of inflammation passed from the acute tendonitis for a week or two, and that's about how long that lasts, usually the inflammation then would dip and you wouldn't see inflammation in there anymore. The patient still had pain, um, but it now is because of this chronic degenerative tendon and there was no more 
signs of acute inflammation. Hmm. That was Very a really good explanation. Yeah. yeah. So you mentioned um, with the more chronic situation with the tendinosis, they have that disorganization of the tendon fibers and some possible tears. So if they if tendinosis implies a de- degenerative tendon, does that mean mm-hmm. you also always have a tendon tear or just is that something that could be separate? Yeah, right. So yeah, does tendinosis always imply a tear? Well, um, by the time that they come to see me, which is usually after, you know, three to six months, the, the answer is most of the time, yes, but not always. Uh, what, I, what I think, there's a continuum that Dr. Cook and her colleague, Dr. Purdham, have put together about tendinopathy. And, and it's a kind of like a stepwise increase. So the, the baseline normal tendon, um, of course, and then you overuse it or get a sudden, sudden uh, increase in loading of the tendon related to an increase in your activity level or an injury. She calls that a reactive tendon. So it's really not too inflammatory. It's just kind of thickening up. But you can have that acute tendonitis that we just talked about. But then if that doesn't heal, then it can lead to what's called tendon disrepair. So again, that that early degenerative failed healing idea. And then the next step in the chain is called degenerative tendinopathy, where not only has it failed to heal, but now it's showing signs of thickening. Um, it's losing its normal linear architecture. So a tendon is made up of collagen fibrils, which are these you know, little, little tubes of collagen that are really structurally strong and linked together very tightly. And they're usually in a very tight linear pattern if you look at it with ultrasound. Mm-hmm. In the case of tendinosis, what we see is a loss of that tight linear uh, fibrils. And it just kind of thickens and it gets darker because it's losing some of the collagen and it's filling in instead with what they call ground substance. It's sort of like scar tissue that's not nearly as strong as collagen. And it also loses its crosslinks where one collagen fiber is connected to the next. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the other things that happen when you look under the microscope, I'll just go ahead and tell and just launch into that because it's it was surprising to me when I first read it. And I'm sure to some of our audience members, it'll, it'll be new, mm-hmm. which is not only do you get loss of the linear fibers and loss of crosslinking, but you an increase of ground substance, but you can then also begin to see um, new blood vessels growing in. We think that's an attempt at healing because all healing requires blood flow, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. So, um, and then the one of the other things that happens inside the body is that wherever blood vessels go, nerves usually follow. They tend to run together. And that's been the other big surprise um, is that when you look at this under a microscope, chronic tendinosis, not only do you see blood vessels growing in and a lot of increase in the cells that are called um, tenocytes or fibroblasts, they, they're, they're trying to, it seems they're trying to heal this tendon. Um, but you also see nerve ingrowth and that, and that these nerves contain um, receptors for substance P, which is a pain generating chemical. And so it, it seems that not only do you have an attempt at healing, but you, the nerve is in there too, and that's why they tend to be more painful. So hmm. really not so much inflammation as maybe some of these little partial tears within there, mm-hmm. but also nerve ingrowth to increases the sensitivity. We think that's where most of the pain comes from. Mm. So what's, what I found, and, and this is super, this was also surprising to me, is that um, you can look at an MRI and you can look at the tendon, see that it's a bit abnormal. Same with a static ultrasound of, say, a rotator cuff tendon. This is a great example. And I would say that the ultrasound is significantly more um, 
I guess, precise. You, can, you get a much better feel for the anatomy using ultrasound than you do with an MRI, which is, again, quite surprising to most people. But boy, the, uh, the modern ultrasound machines just have this ability to distinguish between tears and fluid and inflammation at a, at a level with higher precision, even than an MRI. So that's a good thing for everyone to know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but the biggest surprise was not so much the static images on either MRI or ultrasound, but actually when you, if you can get a needle into a tendon that looks damaged and you can pressurize it with some usually numbing medicine to take away their pain for the patient, um, you can see these tears open up, Tricia. And um, to, to answer your question, I would say that um, when we get a needle in there in a chronic tendinopathy that's been longer than three to six months, it's almost without exception that you will see these tears open up when you inject and then you, you bring hydrostatic pressure inside of that tendon. Wow. So we're even, you know, a lot of my colleagues now are even calling this a diagnostic tenogram. Does that make sense? Yes, mm-hmm. yes. So you actually get a view of the inside of the tendon with a contrast, which is the fluid, using the ultrasound guidance real time. And you can really see these tears open up. And then, of course, that provides two things. Um, that provides great diagnostic information that, okay, there is a tear and on top of the tendinosis, number one. Um, number two, when you retest the patient now that it's numbed up, if their pain completely goes away and they have full strength and use of that tendon, then we really know that's the cause of their pain. So yeah. it, it really helps us to be precise. Um, not only that, it tells us the degree of the tear, and then we can make a decision about what we would recommend for the use for a regenerative treatment. So yeah. whether, you know, if it's tiny, you might just need only prolotherapy. If it's kind of moderate, you might need PRP. And if it's really bad, then you might need to use something even stronger, you know, mm-hmm. bone marrow or maybe even fat to like fill, fill the hole as a structural scaffold. So um, it really does ultrasound is just amazing in its ability to help to answer that question, Tricia, of does the tendinosis include a tear? Yeah. I I mean, great answer. I remember when Mm -hmm. I had my rotator cuff tear, it was an itty bitty little tiny tear. And that's exactly what happened. They used the ultrasound, said, okay, I think there's a defect here that looks like a tear. Then they went in with prolotherapy and then I'm numb. And they put, you know, put me through different maneuvers and I no longer had any pain. And so, there you go. And then after the prolotherapy, the tear pretty much healed up and haven't had any issues since. So yeah. I'm dealing with the wow. same thing. We I just, just had no the, idea what was yeah, going on in there. Exactly. Now I know about like it at a cellular level, which right? is really fascinating. Right. Absolutely. Well, people, you and me and a lot of people are the same way that, you know, you get injured and, you know, you, you're too busy. You don't want to. You just want to think, you know, I'm just going to rest it a little bit. But, of course, you still want to, like me, I still want to keep working out. And and then it, you know, settles down for a little bit. Then all of a sudden you're worse. And and uh, basically, next thing you know, you've got something more extensive. But um, it's, you know, I think it's really important for uh, everyone to recognize the value of ultrasound. And I mm-hmm. had the same ex- you know, experience. In fact, I'm sitting here in a sling today. Um <laughs> After a PRP treatment yesterday, but um, yeah, I mean, on ultrasound, it looked like I had tendinosis and maybe a tiny little tear there, but doing a diagnostic uh, tenogram, like you said, um, it really opened up and definitely showed a lot more extensive um, defects there. You're not going to see that on an MRI. Right. I mean, just think about that. And when you see it, you're like, holy cow, you know? And so, yeah, uh, yeah. so yeah. I mean, I think that is very helpful too from a patient perspective that if you can show them that yeah. 
and see see this is exactly what's going on and this is why we need to do you know this treatment versus that treatment is very helpful as well. So, Dr. Mazzola, like, would you normally treat somebody the same day you diagnose them? And if so, you know, how, what does that look like? Sure. Uh, yeah, the, I mean, the timing of treatment somewhat depends upon the, the patient's preferences, of course, because, you know, it could well be that they're going off on a trip that week and they yeah. are going mountain biking with their friends. And even though it's a little sore, they don't want to be laid up right and so, right, right. Um, what, what you're bringing up is it's a great question um, because everybody wants to get better right away right mm-hmm. so you know how does regenerative medicine work to get these tendons better and how do you time it and what i typically do is i just explain that we have options um, we could do a prolotherapy today usually we don't have time to do a prp same day mm-hmm. just because there's so much involved in the diagnosis right you have to mm-hmm. do a history and a physical and a medication reconciliation, and then you have to do a diagnostic ultrasound, and then, you know, perhaps we do a quick diagnostic injection. And then there's a lot of education around what's going on and how do we use the right supplements that are going to help to supplement the healing, and how do we get off the medications that might impair the healing, right? right. So let's just talk about that real quick because it has something to do with when do we treat them. So if they're on a statin for cholesterol, that can absolutely impair the effect of a regenerative mm-hmm. treatment. So usually we want to try and get them off of that for a few weeks before we treat. Okay. Um, if they're on a fluoroquinolone, it's a type of an antibiotic that's known to cause uh, tendon problems. Uh, that can cause some toxicity to the tendon. And so we definitely want to not do that simultaneously. If they're on blood thinners, um, particularly aspirin or um, the other <laughs> antiplatelet medications, Mm-hmm. Um, we need to get them off of those first, if, if at all possible. If they can't get off of them, then then we lower our expectations for what is, for something like PRP could do for them. Um, because anti-inflammatory medications, which isn't just aspirin, but also includes, you know, um, Aleve and Meloxicam and you know others in that NSAID group, non anti-inflammatories, they impair platelet function. And platelet function is critical to healing because not only do they help to make the clot, but they also release so many of their growth factors that helps to then stimulate the local stem cell population to come to the area to help to lead a healing response. So so it's a pretty loaded question, uh, Trisha, I guess, <laughs> you know. It, as is usual with me, I'll, I'll make a really simple question, a really long answer. And, <laughs> well, and, and I want and, people to have realistic expectations. You know, we're talking about yeah. using the ultrasound and, you know, doing a diagnostic ultrasound and injecting things. So I don't want them to think, oh, I'll just walk in and get a treatment. Mm-hmm. It's not as simple as that, unfortunately. It's not always as simple as that. Yeah. Right. So so what I tell them usually is, hey, if everything else is good, you're not you're not on the wrong medications, you're not going on a camping trip where you need to sleep on the shoulder or you know you're not gonna if it's a hamstring you know you're not going hiking or backpacking in the next week or two because it's gonna you need some downtime after these treatments Mm -hmm. because uh, the treatment is essentially like restarting the clock on that acute injury that leads to the tendonitis if you think about Mm -hmm. it that way because you know we are stimulating inflammation we are stimulating a pretty massive healing response and, and we don't want to impair that. In fact, we want to encourage that. So um, so what I'll sometimes do is initiate treatment with a prolotherapy and then 
have them return perhaps in another four to six weeks when they have some time set aside where they can take a couple, four weeks where they're not doing as much with that tendon, um, give them some bracing and give them some appropriate physical therapy, get them some, some time to think about um, getting on all the right supplements that, that lead and aid in tendon healing. So um, almost always that's what we'll do. But uh, PRP is, is probably my go-to for more, most tendinopathy because it really does, it changes it changes the nature of the disease condition, if you will. Um, if you think of tendinopathy as kind of a disease of the tendon um, and this non-failed, you know, this, this non-healing tendon or just failed healing tendon. Um, and it's one of many things that can be done. So ultimately the goal is to is for the, the individual to be able to load. What I mean by that is, you know, exercise and use it to bring more tension through the muscle tendon unit to be able to load that. And if it's chronically degenerative to the point where it's always so painful that they can never do so, then they absolutely need a regenerative treatment because physical therapy alone just isn't working, right? Mm -hmm. And um, so, yeah, maybe that kind of leads into maybe another question you had. But um, I would say most of the time I'm not doing a PRP or a bone marrow or a fat that first day, that's for sure. Yeah. And uh, and they really do need to kind of organize their life because it's a bit like a post-operative protocol, almost like having a surgery, like you're in a sling there, I heard you say, Lori. Mm-hmm. And um, and that's exactly what I would do, too. If I found a significant tear, I'd put you in a sling for a few days and really let those platelets set up in there and, you know, become more of a solid construct before we let you start loading that. And that's mm-hmm. maybe at a week or two, we start letting you do some gentle loading. Mm-hmm. And then maybe around three or four weeks, a little more. And then by six weeks, most of the time, people can do more or less what they want to do. Yeah, that's called patient patience. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Something yeah, I don't really have. Very, very rare. Like <laughs> That's very rare. <laughs> it is very important. I mean, I'm a perfect walking, you know, example of not having the patience to rest. But um, but when you get to a point where you're in a lot of pain and you just, you know, you're realizing that things just aren't going the way you need them to go, then you have to find that patience down deep in with you right. <laughs> to yeah. stop right. doing the things that are causing a problem. But um, mm-hmm. I think that's awesome that... Um, uh, you you led right into the next question, actually, which was, you know, um, how you treat your tendon tears and do people actually, you know, I'm sure you may have some patients that might have to ha- ultimately have surgery. Or are you finding that with your regenerative treatments um, that most of the time that's not really an area that the patient has to really worry about is surgery? Um, I know there's mm-hmm. certain cl- um, criteria that... Um, we look at in terms of whether a tendon injury or tear would, would be responsive to regenerative treatment. So um, what is the, if you can tell the audience, you know, basically the difference between the Prolo and the PRP and lipo and bone marrow as to when you would make those decisions as to whether you would go beyond PRP. Is that so you try that a few times and then um, have a few treatments and if they don't respond, then you move on to the next level or can you sometimes just say oh this is this is just a massive degeneration of the tendon and we probably need to go right to lipo mm-hmm. right as a boy that is a, a money question yeah. right there Lori. and 
And and I'll tell you that I, I do have some pretty solid answers to that question based upon more experience than, unfortunately, the science and the mm-hmm. literature can right. give to us. Um, yeah, it's a, you know having having practiced the regenerative treatments since two thousand and nine, I've I've had a lot of opportunity to um, observe what works for what kind of condition and what doesn't work as well, and um, so I guess the way I would I would start into the conversation of what do you use? I guess the first question is what do you use um, to treat tendinopathy and tears, and and how do you decide which one to use? Really, mm-hmm. sounds like it's a two part question, right? Yeah. Okay. Cool. That's a great question. Um, I would say the yeah we have a number of treatment options from a regenerative perspective uh, these days, which is fabulous for patients. Um, we absolutely can get them better faster than with a traditional surgical route, no question. And there are certain kinds of injuries to the tendon that I think are much more appropriate. And this is the majority of them. It turns out, in my experience now, my my opinion has changed. Um, that are responsive to uh, ultrasound-guided. It would need to be ultrasound-guided regenerative treatments with somebody who's experienced and has good good needle technique and has really good quality regenerative treatments that they're putting into the syringe. Those would kind of be my criteria, someone who's actually well-trained. Mm-hmm. Um, and, the, and the range goes from dextrose, which is a sugar-based treatment, as surprising to most people because sugar is usually the placebo in a study. Um, but it really has great effects on uh, orthopedic conditions, both osteoarthritis and tendon problems and ligament problems. Um, it's got really nice research in rotator cuff, for example, and Achilles tendon, plantar fascia, lateral epicondyle. Um, the, the weakness, I would say, of dextrose prolotherapy is that you're typically going to need three, maybe four treatments to try and heal a, a significant injury to the to the tendon, mm-hmm. um, there are cases like Trisha. It sounds like you got lucky with one. I've I've been able to treat my own lateral epicondyle one time. With, I've treated it twice and I got better. So, I mean, there are situations where you get lucky with fewer treatments. Um, it is less expensive. It's simpler to do. It's a quicker rehab than with the other more um, the stronger treatments. I would say, mm-hmm. which would include the next one up the chain would be um, PRP or platelet rich plasma. And that's a treatment where we draw a patient's blood. We then concentrate it in a centrifuge, and we get the platelets at a really high concentration. We also are concentrating white blood cells in there of different types. And in fact, I'm involved in a in a research study right now for knee arthritis. It's going to be a groundbreaking research study for knee OA with PRP, looking at you know should we include the neutrophils? That's a that's a subpopulation of the white blood cells, which are very inflammatory initially, or should we leave them out? And we're going to do a comparison. Mm. But uh, so there's platelets, there's white blood cells, uh, lymphocytes are good for healing, monocytes are good for healing, and with neutrophils, we think they're good in tendons for sure. And then there's some debate about whether we should have them inside of a joint, but that's not today's topic. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, usually with PRP, one treatment will do the trick with good ultrasound guidance and a good diagnosis. Like you make sure you got all the tendons that are involved. Um, and then sometimes you do have to do a second, though, to your to your point. Mm-hmm. Um, and it does a bit depend upon what you see at that initial injection. That diagnostic tenogram gives you so much information. And then um, the next strong one, I would say, would be bone marrow. And there's some uh, – oh, with PRP, there's some 
there's multiple studies that have shown that it's helpful and greater than it's like superior to placebo, meaning exercise or a steroid injection. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have good evidence for PRP for rotator cuff. There are some negative studies too. And my criticisms of those studies are typically that they didn't really use a strong enough platelet concentrate mm-hmm. or they didn't use ultrasound guidance. Um, so, you know, I think there's some weaknesses in those studies that didn't show a difference, but there are some out there. Mm-hmm. Um, but you have to know how to read these studies <laughs> so you right. can know that it's really right. the same kind of PRP that we should be using. And, I'll, and I have a very strong opinion about that. And then, um, and then, yeah, bone marrow concentrate or just bone marrow aspirate. Um, there is a nice study that Dr. Centeno's clinic did on rotator cuff and bone marrow. And compared to exercise, it was hugely superior. And then the group of exercise that didn't get much better, they could cross over into the bone marrow. And again, ultrasound guidance, mm-hmm. um, bone marrow injection worked very nicely for rotator cuff. And it was like 85 to 90% of people just did great. Wow. Wow. Um, yeah. So bone marrow is really good for tendons. And then, uh, and then you said lipo, I call it M fat microfragmented adipose tissue. It's, it is a fat graft. Um, it can be used obviously in plastic surgery for, um, structural filling of defects and things like that. In orthopedics, it's we're really using it more for the structural aspect mm-hmm. because of the um, that's how the FDA looks at fat is as right. a structural substance. And so um, we don't really make claims about using uh, fat as a regenerative treatment in and of itself. So the cellular part of that we use is platelets. So we still add the platelets in with the fat mm-hmm. and use the fat as kind of like a scaffold, if you will, to fill a void in a tendon tear mm-hmm. and then put the platelets on top of it to really, you know, be the cellular piece of that. Okay. Um, fat does have um, more stem cells in it per volume than bone marrow does, which is kind of a surprise to most people. Yeah. Um, so that's a benefit of having the fat in there for sure. But because because the FDA doesn't view it as a cellular product, we can't really make those statements about it other right. than that's a fact that they exist there. Right. right? Yeah, right. absolutely. And I've always used the I've always used the PRP with it anyways, because the combo mm-hmm. just seems to be so robust. So as far as like trying to decide which one to use of those four main treatments. And by the way, I didn't even mention shockwave, but focused shockwave has really coming on, um, which mm-hmm. is wonderful. It does not require ultrasound guidance. It does not require a needle. So now we have essentially needle-free regenerative treatments that people can do. And it's about the same strength as a prolo, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, usually you need about six treatments of a focused shockwave to a tendon to get it to heal. Um, but we're offering that at our clinic now, too. Wow. Um, as an alternative for people that are just totally needle-phobic or don't want to wait. This, sometimes it takes a couple, three months to get me to... Um, to get back into my clinic because we have a lot of demand that we're having a tough time keeping up with. So mm. it's it's a way to try and help people yeah. uh, quicker and without needles. Wow. So I should add that into the yeah, list. That's absolutely. That's really data. Yeah. And, um, but nonetheless, the ultrasound sure helps with the diagnosis of finding where the problem is nonetheless. But mm-hmm. I'm thinking of uh, I'm thinking of my best friend who I was mountain biking with and I watched him tear his rotator cuff. Mm. And I think this is a good story to tell to help to understand what you would use and why Mm -hmm. so so he did he's a physical therapist and and we knew that he tore his tendon about a week later because we did a quick scan on him and found it and this was a full thickness retracted tear of his supraspinatus so you know 
all the textbooks and all of our articles say that if you have that, it's really not a candidate for regenerative treatment that requires surgical fixation to pull that tendon back to the bone, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. And um, but we there was there was some features to his tear that that gave me some optimism that perhaps we could significantly help him, even though it would never be the same probably as a as a rotator cuff repair surgery. And and the thing that was unique about his tear was that he had good tendon still attached to the bone on either side of the tear where it was retracted. So mm-hmm. it was like, think of the tendon as it's about two centimeters wide mm-hmm. and the middle third, you know, so about, you know, maybe half a centimeter in the middle third was what the part that was retracted, but he had good tendon attached in front of it and behind it. So mm-hmm. that made it unique. And what he also had was he had a, a big insertional erosion by the time that we treated him, it had been about four months after his tear because he tried to rehab it first, of course, mm-hmm. um, as a physical therapist. And he had a lot of weakness and difficulty with pain and he couldn't sleep on it and he couldn't swim and he's a triathlete. So, you know, that was trouble for him. Um, he had an insertional erosion where the tendon would meet the bone and that's a fibrocartilage injury to, and he also had a little bone divot. So when I see bone involvement and that fibrocartilage bridge broken, I like bone marrow because that's, that's like what bone marrow wants to mm-hmm. turn into is fibrocartilage. So it's the perfect situation. You get to heal the bone, uh, you get to heal the fibrocartilaginous bridge, but then he was also retracted. And so there was this void of about a centimeter between the bone and the tendon end. So we stuffed that with fat and then we put a bunch of PRP on there. Oh, and, nice. um, yeah, he, he was like, I think it was like mm, 90% better about four months out. He was feeling really good. We took a look at it. And the, the tear was actually now about a half a centimeter retracted, and the tendon was seemingly filling in. Um, he still had a little bit of weakness, but he was about 90% in his strength, and but he still couldn't swim. And yeah. so so at that point, instead of going back into the bone with, with bone marrow and instead of putting another ball of fat in there, what we decided to do was a, a PRP as kind of a second treatment. And we just we made it clot up while it was in that part of the tendon tear that persisted. So because because now the bone seemed to be better and the void wasn't as big, so we could now use PRP. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so we 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 just activated the PRP and we watched it clot up into that void. And then it's I think it's been another two or three months since then, and he's got a hundred percent function. He's back to swimming and he doesn't have any more pain. So, That's incredible. So, right, that's kind of like it goes against the grain a little bit on what you think you could do. But there's other cases, you did say, are there certain cases that absolutely require surgery? And I would say yes. And those would be like if it was on the the leading edge of the supraspinatus, like it's right next to the biceps tendon. And if that's completely pulled away, like there's nothing for that to attach itself mm-hmm. to on the other side, right? Right. Whereas, whereas his tear was right in the middle, so he had good tendon on either side that it could fill in in between. So... Mm. Um, That's really I've had a number of patients, I scan them, I say, yeah, this absolutely needs surgery. I send them to my local surgeon, they, they get them squared away. And usually they heal really fast because, you know, they're seeing me in their follow-up. And if anything is like stuck or they're restricted, uh, if they're stuck or restricted after their um, procedure, then after their surgical procedure, then we can get them freed up again, which is one of the talks we'll be doing uh, next week at your at your MSK ultrasound courses on, you know, freeing up stuck joints so right. frozen shoulder and a stiff shoulder after a rotator cuff surgery is a problem that can happen and and so usually we can help people through that now with the ultrasound guided 
you know, injections to free up scar tissue and whatnot. That is so cool. And it's also brings a lot of optimism for people that have had injuries and um, maybe they've been told that there's nothing that can be done, but, you know, depending upon that situation, uh, um, their particular situation that, you know, regenerative medicine techniques may be very helpful. And that, again, is where the ultrasound comes in, where from a diagnostic standpoint, it's very beneficial to being able to see things uh, maybe in better detail, as you mentioned, but as compared to uh, MRI or other imaging modalities. So, um a lot of times, which kind of leads into the fact that um, not only for a diagnostic standpoint, but for uh, procedural guidance, that ultrasound is so valuable because you can actually see exactly where you're, yeah. you know, putting the the medication or direct the treatment or, or the treatment. Yes, right. I know you're you're so right. I mean, it's it's it like it literally is fun. Yeah, <laughs> the patient yeah. and I are, you know, I'm in there and I'm like hooting and hollering. I'm having such a good time. Like I can tell it's going to work because I've found the problem and oh, it's super. Yeah, it's just fun. It's kind of like a Easter egg hunt trying to find the problem, you know? Yeah, and then then <laughs> then finding it and then fixing it and your patients are. You know, thrilled. So the patient satisfaction there is going to go out the roof, right? You know, I don't have to have surgery. That's a huge thing. So, um, which then just briefly, because I know we're we're getting close to being out of time, but um, I know you're super, super busy. But um, you also mentioned about ultrasound guidance and, of course, with someone who is well-trained. And so, you know, being in the the education profession and uh, ultrasound and doing a lot of work with MSK, we, we, you know, we see a lot of times that people want to learn how to do ultrasound, which is, which is awesome. But many times we'll, we'll hear them say, you know, we just, we just want to do injections. We don't really want to know how to do the diagnosis, but they really Mm kind of go hand in hand. (laughs) And, um, it really is important that you know exactly what you're looking at, what the anatomy Mm -hmm. is that you're looking at, the surrounding adjacent anatomy before you start performing a procedure. And, and there's a lot of skill to performing ultrasound in itself and needle guidance. So there's techniques that you have to, you really have to learn it, it, you know, skilled, uh, Providers offering these procedures and so forth, and sonographers who are scanning, we make it look easy, but it's it's a little bit more than just waving the magic wand over the area. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, just, just a little bit. Yeah. Just a little bit. It's a lifelong yeah, learning no, I, commitment. I completely agree. I mean, if, if you're asking me my opinion about that, mm-hmm. I mean, I cannot agree more. I mean, that's like 100%. I, I feel frustration, honestly, when I, when I hear you you know, a student say something like, oh, I don't really need to know the diagnostics. I just want to do the the injections. It's like, well, hold on a second. Mm -hmm. Like, how would you know what to inject if you were, if you didn't know how to find the problem, right? Right. Right. It's like a, it's a logical flaw that they're, that they're, that they're telling you. That's, it's kind of using like an older model of diagnosing that's dependent upon, I don't know what they would depend upon, I guess an MRI, that would say that some tendon is bad and then they'll just use the ultrasound to guide the needle into that tendon. But I mean, like I mentioned earlier uh, with, with today's modern ultrasound and with somebody who's well-educated, the ultrasound has a much higher degree of precision than does an MRI. Number one, number two, 
a terrific physical examination gives you so much information about where the problem likely is. Mm -hmm. And then the ultrasound just becomes like an extension of your physical exam. And I think, and I fear that this is a problem in modern orthopedics in America, maybe in the world, I'm not sure. Um, I think more in America where we're very MRI dependent and very imaging dependent. I cannot tell you the number of patients that say, okay, well, it's been a month. Can you take a look in there and tell me if it looks like it's healed up? And it's like, well, hold on a second. Mm-hmm. You know, there's there's two problems with that. Number one, ultrasound and MRI imaging after regenerative treatment might take two to four years to look normal. So, mm. so you will feel better and you will have full strength and function years before the imaging will, will look good. It usually mm. people feel better in three to four months, right? Yeah. Maybe six on the outside. And that's what most of the studies show. Um, and, and there's a number of studies where they, they do talk about how it looked so much better on the ultrasound at two months. And I just chuckle a little because we have really a, a number of other studies that, that, should, that discuss that it does take quite a bit longer to look normal. And so it's, it's re, I guess, re-educating uh, people to think about function and pain as uh, the most useful indicators. Mm-hmm. Yes. When I say function, I mean ability to do things and strength primarily right. um, and range of motion, um, as opposed to what does the picture show? And I don't know how we've done it, but we've really substituted good physical diagnostic examinations with imaging in our modern orthopedic world. And, and ultrasound could be you know, lumped into that category, but but it's only after I've done a really good physical exam and I already have a really good sense of what I'm going to find with that ultrasound that I that I do the ultrasound. So I think that's mm-hmm. a valuable point. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. And yeah. so you would perform a repeat ultrasound in the case where somebody comes back after a first treatment and says, "I still have pain or I still have weakness." You would do that ultrasound, obviously knowing it's not going to look normal, but you're you're deciding if you want to do second, third, fourth treatments. Or something else. Or something else, right? So if somebody yes. doesn't have a full recovery and they're like, mm, it's been, you know, six months and I still have a lot of pain and weakness. Right. Yeah. I mean, that doesn't happen too often, thankfully, because yeah. of, you know, I take an hour with each patient and I really try and suss it out and make sure I'm treating root causes and not just the victim, which is often the tendon is often the victim in a situation mm-hmm. or an arthritic, an arthritic joint, for example, is often the victim of something, some other problem biomechanically upstream. And so um, that's been a big change in, in how I approach my patients. But yes, uh, for sure, I absolutely break out the ultrasound if they're not doing well. Yeah. Um, if, they're, if they're doing well, I really try and discourage them from taking a second look because it only discourages them and me at that yeah. point. I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, so it doesn't look right. <laughs> so, so right. Which we expect, but <laughs> it still doesn't feel good. It's like, why are we doing this again? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, well, but definitely we'll, we'll keep tracking down the problem if, you know, if they're not getting what they're looking for. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, right. sometimes they're pretty complicated issues. So yeah. we've seen sometimes. a few of those during our regenerative medicine live patient mm-hmm. demos that we do during our MSK course. Right. We've seen some really complicated things. Mm-hmm. And you're just like, wow. But then mm-hmm. we see those same people now two years out, mm-hmm. and it's amazing how they've just returned yeah. to or well, sometimes a lot. You know, depending upon the level of complicated injury that they may have or, or uh, injury, um, we, we see a lot of people that get their treatments and they're, they're back to 
normal function and happy and pain-free. My know, husband's a perfect a example. shorter period of time, right? Yeah. He had, what, two treatments, mm-hmm. two different treatments on his foot and ankle and... And now yeah. I don't hear him moaning and groaning every morning. And that's <laughs> that's a blessing. I'll pay anything for that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, guys are guys are the worst when it comes to training, I tell you. Well, no. I'm just happy he can get back to doing what he loves. Right. Golfing and fishing and exercising. Right. So. And no whining is just the icing on the that's cake. That's the icing right? on the cake. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Gonna have to make sure he doesn't listen to this one. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, this has been a great conversation on, you know, what can obviously be a very confusing topic, but I think we've brought a lot of light to the differences between tendinitis, tendinosis, tears, and especially the best methods to diagnose and treat with non-surgical options. So, um, Dr. Mazzola, for any of our listeners who may be in your area, if they would like to, you know, get in touch with you and maybe come in and see you for an injury that they're experiencing, how would they best get a hold of you? Sure. So we're located in Boulder, Colorado, which is a little northwest of Denver. And of course, Denver is a, a great airport. So if, if people wanted to travel that, we, we have accommodations for that. We usually have them come in for a visit on day one and then stay the night. And then we set up, you know, we save a slot for them the next day for the treatment plan. Um, for local people, it's, uh, and, and for people that would be visiting from elsewhere, our website is we have two titles, Breakthrough Ortho, uh, B-R-E-A-K-T-H-R-O-U-G-H, ortho.com. And then uh, that also will then co-locate with orthopedicscolorado.com. So either of those will get you there. And then um, certainly it's easy to find our phone number on that uh, website, but we can give it here, 720-463-0567. That's 720-463-0567. And those are probably the two easiest ways to connect with us. Um, On our website, there is a load of educational material about the different things that we do, the what you can expect when you come to see us. Um, There's a blog section, which has now three podcasts, and hopefully this will be the fourth, um, as well as a number of articles that we've reviewed that we think are really important articles in the regenerative medicine space. Um, and even some patient cases. So yeah, a lot of frequently asked questions about all these different kinds of treatments that we've discussed. Uh, so it's a pretty robust website, I'd say. And, and that's probably the easiest way to get there to us is through the, through the website. Awesome. And yeah. we'll be sure to put that in our show notes too. So you guys will have the link. Absolutely. Hey, can I, yeah. can I make a, can I make a quick plug before we go? Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. So, I mean, full disclosure to anyone out there who's on the fence about ultrasound for their orthopedic practice. Uh, that was me some years ago. And I think it was 2007 when I got my first ultrasound and I attended a couple of courses early on and got super excited. And then, uh, I think I found my way to Gulf coast for my first, my first ultrasound course with you guys. And mm-hmm. I think it was like 2011 or something Probably, like that. Yeah, but, it was way back. <laughs> but it was great. And then there, and then there was a board review course. I went and I did my second course and I just got to make a plug because you know, I, it's the, it's the only course that I've ever gone back to twice. And I think it wow. was really, really well worth it. I think there's a lot of value they really bring in uh, just excellent teachers. They're super selective in who they allow to get up there on the podium and to uh, teach their groups. And um, I mean, of course, I'm in that group now, of which course. I'm very honored. <laughs> and uh, at, the, at the same time, um, yeah, I think 
I think it's true that you guys have taught ultrasound to more people in America than any other organization out there. Isn't yeah, that right? Yep. Absolutely. Yep. We've been so around a long respect, time. <laughs> mad right. respect. And we've got to give our props to these guys. They're doing a great job. So, oh, Well, thank um, you so much. Yes, we really appreciate that. And, he, and you are correct. We only work with the best of the best. So when you come to Gulf Coast, you're going to have an amazing experience. Absolutely. So yep. we appreciate yep. that plug. Yeah, so um, that's excellent for the um, listeners um, today that may need some help with an injury or problem that you're having. And definitely, you know, check out his website and uh, some of the educational resources that they have. And and for those of you that are in the ultrasound profession or thinking about utilizing ultrasound as um, for diagnosis and or interventional techniques, you know, check out our website at gcus.com. Um, and we have several musculoskeletal ultrasound programs that we offer throughout the year. We have one coming up next week. Yay. And yeah, and uh, we'd love to see you uh, attend one of our programs. So this has been an amazing conversation and I'm sure has been very helpful to all of our listeners. So we definitely appreciate you being here with us today, Dr. Mazzola. And thank you to our listeners for joining us today. Be sure to subscribe to the Sonography Lounge podcast so you don't miss an episode. All, All right. right. Well, great. Okay. Well, thanks well, so much. We, we appreciate it. Yep. Been a lot of fun and hope you have a great day and hope our listeners also have a great, great, All right. great day. Thanks All right. so much, Lori, thanks. Trisha. All right. All right. Take care. Okay. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Sonography Lounge. Don't forget. If you like this episode, please subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find us on Instagram, at Sonography Lounge, and Twitter, at Sonography LNG. If you have any questions, comments, or topic suggestions, feel free to send an email to us at sonographylounge at gmail.com. Have a great week, and scan, scan, scan. Scan.